Hey everybody, what's up? Sagi here. And before you listen to this episode, I just wanted to let you know that the Hacking UI podcast, while we still have a lot of downloads for our podcast, is a legacy podcast, meaning David and I are not recording any more sessions for the specific podcast. So what you can do right now is, first of all, listen to this episode, and second, know that you can find David on thoughtleaders.io, that's his new business, or you can check out my new podcast, which is called The Creativepreneur Show. And you can just go to creativepreneurmagazine.com or creativepreneur.show. So those are the two domains that you would be able to find my show, my new blog, my new community. And I hope uh, to see you there. Also, be sure to follow David Tintner and Sagi Schreiber on Instagram. We're both on Instagram. I'm also on YouTube. So you can check out the YouTube channel if you want to check out YouTube. Enough with my talking. Oh, my God. So anyways, I hope you guys, though, connect with me and David on the different platforms after this episode. All right. Make sure to do so because we have so much new content for you. And enjoy, guys. Enjoy this episode. We need you to keep exploring these problems and keep trying to find Find the solutions to these problems. And please don't let the lack of tools stop you from that pursuit. Hello, hackers. Thanks a lot for joining us for another episode of the Hacking UI podcast, where we hack our way through product design, development, and creative entrepreneurship. I'm David Tintner. And I'm Sagi Schreiber. This will be the fifth episode of the third season of the Hacking UI podcast, which we call Scaling a Career. In this season, we have 10 amazing guests for you which are leaders and influencers from a variety of different backgrounds. You'll be listening to our interviews with Brad Frost, inventor of the Atomic Design System, Quincy Larson, founder of Free Code Camp, Maria Jadus, former of VP Experience at Autodesk. We will release new episodes of this season every Thursday. So be sure to stay tuned and subscribe. For this season, we have two amazing sponsors with incredibly useful products for you, Envision and FreshBooks. So I bet you all know InVision. So today I want to talk to you about designbetter.co. The education team over at InVision created an amazing source of quality learning material for product designers. They interviewed dozens of leading designers and companies like Google, Airbnb, Netflix, Facebook, Slack, and more. And basically they did that in order to discover the design practices that they use in order to help everyone, their audience, which is us, transform our design process and push our organizations to the limits. So don't forget to hit designbetter.co. It's an amazing resource. They have four books that they publish. They have an amazing podcast of their own. Be sure to subscribe to it. And they have workshops for designers. So you can check those out as well. So I really recommend it. It's just amazing. FreshBooks is the perfect accounting software for freelance designers and developers or creative entrepreneurs with a small business. FreshBooks is built from the ground up to work for people like us. Let's say non-accountants. They have some really powerful features like integration with Stripe, expense tracking, and a customer support team that actually picks up the phone and works with you to find the perfect solution. Actually, my favorite part about FreshBooks is the super smart notifications they send, which show you the highest priority task you can do right now in order to improve your business. Again, if you're an experienced accountant and you're looking for the all-powerful analytical monster of a tool, okay, this is not it. But if you're like us and you're just looking to get some understanding of your business and keep track of things without wasting hours of your time, then this is exactly what you need. If you want to see what it's all about, FreshBooks gives you a 30-day free trial and doesn't even require a credit card to log in. Okay, so onto our episode today. Our guest today is actually not only a fellow designer, but a fellow podcaster. His podcast is called User Defenders, and this is a super interesting talk for anyone thinking about starting a podcast of their own, or writing a medium, or in general, any professional looking to build their personal brand. So, ladies and gents, it's our pleasure to present to you Jason Ogle. Let's get hacking! 
up, everybody? Welcome to another Hacking UI podcast. And today we have Jason Ogle with us. Jason, what's up? What's up, everybody? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> A fellow podcaster. Yes, indeed. Uh, we are really thrilled to have you here. And both of us, you know, have kind of like parallel podcasts in the design industry, kind of. And we actually never spoke. So it's a great pleasure <laughs> to finally speak to you. <laughs> Likewise. Yeah, you're right. And I, when I look at the related podcasts, I see Hacking UI right there, right up there on that. So we have similar listeners. So this is kind of cool. Hey, audience. Nice. All so, right. Honestly, it's a delight to be on the show, guys. Thanks for having me. It really is an honor. Yeah, thanks for joining yeah. us. <laughs> yeah, totally. So the first thing I guess we can talk about is the reason that we're here. Well, <laughs> so about like, I don't know, it was like a month ago or two months ago that you posted a Medium article and that was about the tools don't define you, but you do. And then yes. I wrote like this responding post called your tools don't define you, but, and then we started a discussion <laughs> and then we're like, all right, let's do a podcast, you know? <laughs> so I think we can start by talking about that because I think like this is a topic that a lot of designers are really contemplating. I bet there's like also really, there's like sides, like people are really have an opinion about this, either the opinion that the tools really don't define you, but then some really have strong opinion, but let's try to kind of talk about it. Would you mind giving us a bit of background about yourself and <laughs> what you're doing today? Yeah, for sure, man. It's funny. I, I actually have the article pulled up right now and your comment actually got more likes than most of my blog articles. <laughs> 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 I think it got four likes on your comment. Four uh, likes. I, I get maybe four average on an article if I'm lucky. Uh, I'm actually going on and liking right now, so don't worry. Can you please, worry. David? <laughs> Wait, you got already seven likes. On your oh, article. yay. <laughs> hey, but you know what? That's like seven people who actually cared about what I had to say. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, man. Like I'm telling you, Medium gives you the exposure. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but oh, really, I, I think it. that uh, I, have, I have something to say about like exposure on Medium, okay? So first of all, you go. You're a guest. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love Medium. And it's an awesome tool. Okay. So that maybe, you know, this is kind of patching into our tools topic a little bit too, but I don't know. I feel like it's just another, it's like the recording industry, right? Like for the longest time we had to basically, you had gatekeepers, right? If you're a musician, you wanted to get signed on a label because that's the goal, right? That seems like that's everybody's goal. There's gatekeepers. So Medium launched and there weren't that many people on it. And so of course your article was going to get a lot of exposure then. And then now it's become very saturated and obviously because it's a great tool, Okay. What that means too is that no matter how good your content is, unless you have a tribe, a following that's actually looking for what you're putting out, you're not going to get very much exposure on Medium. No matter what they do, they keep trying to do things, but it's basically like everything. You got to pay to play eventually. It's becoming a paid model now, just like Facebook had to, just like Twitter had to, because you get, I mean, you got to make money and I totally get that, right? I mean, nothing's free really in this yeah. life. And, and so I just feel like all of that's part of it. It's like with Google, like you got to pay to get your, your stuff seen now. It used to be so easy to get your site in the number one ranking, just doing a couple of little hacks, right? Yeah. Um, so I, that's how I feel about Medium. I think it's a great tool and I'm, I'm going to blog anyway. Yeah, I mean, do I want more people to read and like my stuff? Of course, who doesn't, right? Yeah. But I love writing, so I'm going to continue to write anyway, just because it's a, I don't know, it's a therapeutic kind of process for me. So that's my opinion on it. What's yours? Yeah. So I guess I'm not about the opinion that Medium, like, you know, it grew. And I, I mean, what you're saying is kind of not an opinion. It's kind of like, it's a fact that it was a small platform. Like, basically, we can't do anything about that. But yeah. what I did find out on Medium is that in order to get exposure, and that's, by the way, that's not about only Medium. 
That's about the whole kind of like ecosystem of if you're a designer and you want to promote yourself and you want to write and you want to get exposure, then you have to be where the attention is. And that mm-hmm. I got from Gary Vaynerchuk, which I listen oh, yeah. to regularly. And he's like, he's saying it. He got a few consistent kind of messages that he throws out to the world and he keeps repeating those. And, you know, you can listen mm-hmm. or you cannot listen. But I like I'm hearing him for like a year now. I read his book. I listened to his podcast. And just like a couple months ago, I'm like, shit, really? I mean, that's true. You should be where the attention is. So mm-hmm. th- what I did... I write it every couple of months, like a long article. So the last article I wrote, I said, okay, I'm going to try something. I'm not going to post it on Hacking UI. Although I got a blog, like David and I, we raised Hacking UI like three years to be what it is today. We have a sort of a lot of traffic there. Yeah. And we also have a big newsletter where we, you know, shoot traffic to whatever we want from. But then I said, okay, wait, traffic shooting from the newsletter, we can do to wherever. Now the question is, where can I get attention? Where is people's <laughs> attention? And then we said, okay, Medium is a great place where people's attention is so mm-hmm. I posted in a medium and then I what I did is I searched for publications that have a lot of followers so basically there's a way to find the amount of people that a publication has following the way to find it is by basically going to any article on the publication and going to its tags and when you click one of the tags you get to a page where you see how many followers this publication has So what I did, I searched Medium for the best publications to the topic of the article that I wrote. Mm-hmm. I went to each one of them, saw how many followers they had. I found a few with 200K plus followers. Hmm. And I applied my article to be in their publication, basically already after I published it. So it was hmm. already up or in the air. I got like, you know, I don't know, six likes or something. And then I applied to have my article in those publications. The moment that one of them agreed, I think I applied for like four, two accepted. And then I chose one of them. And then like from then, on I got 630 likes I got 18,000 people that read my article out of them 2,300 that got until the end of the article which is a very long article it's like a 15 minute read so that's amazing stats that I never got on hacking UI and then also we pushed traffic to that article through our newsletter so that's a great way to gain exposure basically going to the publications mm. on medium that the attention is at and then applying for <laughs> them you know because it's still on your profile You still wrote that article. Yeah, that's smart. The only thing I would say is, I just disagree with the slightly there, is that, you know, what I think you do on Medium is just kind of the same as doing a guest post on another blog. You know, you basically mm-hmm. found another publication. It just so happens to be using Medium and then applied to be in it. But if you reach out and do a guest post on like a Fast Company or like Wired Magazine or something like that, like a giant blog... I think you have a similar effect. And what the real like benefit I see of Medium is not as a discovery platform as much as it's an amazing tool for quickly getting out an awesome looking blog post. You know, it's much easier to write in Medium than it is in WordPress or in most other even writing tools that I know of. Mm-hmm. You write mm-hmm. your draft there as well, right? Yeah. I mean, when I publish yeah. on Hacking UI, mm-hmm. I usually write the drafts on Medium just because it's so nice and easy to work with. <laughs> so I think like what you did was a cool way of getting like a guest post out there. No, it's much easier for sure to contact a Medium publication maybe than, you know, finding the specific contact at a specific blog or magazine and then writing to them and pitching the article and going through the process as opposed to the Medium way, which was just like, you know, a standardized way of this is how you apply to be in the publication. Okay. But I mean, as far as guest blogging goes, you can even have a larger effect than let's say like the largest Medium publication, you say has 200,000 followers. Okay. Well, you know, the largest blogs out there have, you know, millions of readers a month. Uh-huh. That's true. Well, yeah, it's kind of like a guest post, but I'm saying I don't care if it's a guest post or not. The attention gets to my article. And the likes, you know, the credit goes to publication and myself. 
basically my profile where I put people to follow me on Medium, then eventually they get to the article that I wrote. And it doesn't matter that it was in another publication. You know what I'm saying? It's like, that's where it's different from like big publication. Let's say Smashing Magazine, if you wrote there, then nobody kind of like links to their profile as a writer on Smashing Magazine. It's nice to add though, like on your, maybe on your website, wrote for, you know, Smashing Magazine or something. I mean, I'm talking about attention and yeah, I think it's a great way to get attention. And another thing that I found out later is that those kind of publications, they also accept guest posts. Basically, they accept posts on Medium that have been already published before on some private blog. So basically, we can publish on Hacking UI, then go to Medium and publish on one of those publications, basically maximize our exposure and gain the SEO for Hacking UI. So anyways, just something I recently been thinking about. Yeah, you know what? A lot of, and that's that's great. Those are both great perspectives, uh, you guys. I think ultimately what it boils down to is influencers. And obviously, it takes 10 years to become an overnight success, right? <laughs> I mean, you guys have been building your audience. I've been building my audience. Yeah. And it takes, you know, playing the long game. It takes a lot of time and a lot of effort and consistency to do that. And David, I know you did something where you challenge yourself to do a blog post every day, an article on Medium every day. And I commend you for that because that's probably one of the hardest things you can do uh, <laughs> is to force yourself to do that. But I admire you for, and I know you you maybe missed a day here and there and for really good reasons, uh, like business reasons. But I think that I commend you for definitely going for it. And that's one example is you're just, you know, you're playing the long game. You're trying to put good content out there. That's what I'm trying to do with user defenders as well as what you guys are doing on Hacking UI. And you just played a long game and you just try to serve people. I think that's really what it boils down to. And I got a funny story too, just about Medium real quick. I did not blog. I did not write anything for, I've been doing this for 20 plus years. I started when the internet was was very young in the 90s, mid 90s. I never really did anything. I never did anything that significant to give back to the community. It wasn't honestly until I started user defenders that I that was my kind of, that was my gift, I guess, if you will, back to the industry that's been so good to me. But I started writing shortly before that. And a lot of it had to do with Zeldman. Zeldman put, I think, a tweet out there that said, I won't hire anyone who doesn't write. And I was like, oh, shoot. I mean, if I wanted to work for anybody, like, I'd love to work with Zeldman, of course, you know, yeah, who wouldn't? Yeah. And, and so I was like, well, I, I need to just start writing anyway. You know, this is, it's my time. And so what I did was I wrote my first article, probably I wrote one article in the 90s and that was it. And I stopped. And then I wrote my first article in 20 years and I shared it with him on Twitter. I said, hey, you know what? I said, you inspired me. You inspired me to write this. And I, I shared a link with him. He liked the article. It was my very first one. It was called Web Worker. Have you lost that love and feeling? He liked the article. And the next day I had like 35 likes because he did it. He went first, right? It's like Godin saying, go first. Yeah, cool. He went first. He liked my article. And I was like, man, this stuff's easy. <laughs> <laughs> and from then on you were sucked in, huh? Then it's down the rabbit hole. <laughs> well, and then here's the, the clincher. I had the bug. I was like, I'm going to do this again. This was so easy. The next article I wrote, I had one like. It was from me. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's the thing, man. It's funny what you said about him saying that he wouldn't hire anyone who doesn't write. He was a mentor in our first batch of the Side Project Accelerator. And I remember something that stuck out with me really that he said was um, something along the lines of looking for unicorns. So we said, oh, okay, so what's a a unicorn, right? (laughs) Like, oh, it's like a designer who can code kind of thing, right? Or maybe like a full stack developer kind of thing. No, he said, no, a unicorn is someone who could do design, development, and content. Duh. We're like... Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I love that third piece, that content. I mean, how often do we forget that, right? We're always talking about should designers coach, should designers, we talk about that a lot on the show. And should designers be really good at content? There's a blog post right there, right? Like, yeah, Yeah. of course. It's like the missing third person of the Trinity. Definitely. Yeah, totally. Also, the topic of UX writing has become sort of a buzzword these days. So it's super relevant. Yes, indeed. Fully agree. Yeah. 
All right, so let's go back for a second. And how about you give us just a bit of background, just about what you're doing today and you know, your, your background as a designer. Yeah, so as I mentioned, I started doing this stuff in the 90s. It was really as a hobbyist. I fell in love with the web through America Online and they had a personal publisher feature. After I figured out that I could chat with anybody, like what? I could chat with, <laughs> like you guys are in Israel. Like I could have a conversation with you in real time using my keyboard, right? And this yeah. is far before any of the tools we have today, like Skype and all that, like which is what we're using now. But I just couldn't believe it. And then I discovered that I could actually make my own web page, that I could be artistic, which is background that I had. I've always loved drawing. A uh, huge comic book nerd. I used to try to get detention so I could draw Wolverine after school. <laughs> I mean, that's like how, how big it was for me. You know? and, so, and then I also fell in love with code when I got an Amiga computer, a Commodore Amiga back in the 80s. My dad picked it up. That was like state of the art back then. And the graphics were incredible. And you could actually, use a basic code. And I started learning a basic code and I got her to talk to me. It was awesome. It was like, man, what a talk about a dopamine hit, you know, like, man, I can just do some keyboard strokes here and then and make something happen. And so when I figured out that I could actually create something artistic, some design, and then I could actually program it using technology and get that thing into a tangible format that anyone in the entire world could access with a few keystrokes, that was it. I was in. So that's where it all started for me. I was uh, I started by just trying to take odd jobs like, hey, yeah, I'll build a site for you. You know, like uh, how much you got kind of thing. You know, yeah. um, it was really all about I just had to get this stuff. I had to do this. I was practicing. It was I mean, this is a nice tie in to kind of my my old tools article. It's like, you know, I didn't let my lack of tools. I had just enough. I didn't let that stop me from really figuring this stuff out. Mm -hmm. And there weren't a lot of blog posts back then out there on learning this stuff either. So mm -hmm. I figured out I found everything I could and I just figured it out on my own. I'm a high school dropout. I have no college degree, but I've done okay in life. This field has been good to me, guys. It's been really good to me and my family. And so basically on from there, I got my first foot in the door. And just before the dot bomb crisis, it was in 99. I got my foot in the door. It took me two years, you guys, to get my foot in the door <laughs> um, back then. And then when I got it in, it was at an agency, really great uh, ad agency in Orange County and where I lived at the time, California. And they gave me a chance. They took a big chance on me. And when they found out that I didn't have the experience they thought I did because my portfolio looked pretty bitching, if you will. Um, I, they, they found out that I didn't have any any real world experience. I, I almost lost my job about a month later when I actually got a real client project. And that's when my boss said, hey, you know what? This isn't working. We thought you were a little further along. I, I was an art director. That was my title coming in. My very first role was an interactive art director. So basically I said, please, I will do anything. I want this. I want this to happen. And, and he said, well, what if you took enrolled yourself into some courses, some classes. And I was like, well, I was just married that year and we didn't have kids yet, which was really helpful, but it was a commitment. I was like, well, I'm already working full time here. And then I'm going to go to school like four nights a week after work, got getting home till past nine or 10. I'm like, okay, I'm in, I'm going to do this. Cause I want this that bad. I did it enrolled myself in school four nights a week classes, got my visual communication certification certificate through a, a local college. And, and then I happened to land a project, a really great project landed on my lap that just totally propelled me forward. I was able to do so much and learn so much with that one project. And it was a really actually quite a big project mm -hmm. for our agency. So anyway, that's kind of where it started for me. And then of course, dot bomb hit. Um, the only <laughs> companies that survived, I think were Amazon and you know probably one other company. You know? And so it was a very hard time to find work on the web. So anyway, I ended up kind of working at Starbucks for a while because I had kids by this time and mm -hmm. had to 
needed benefits, worked at Starbucks part-time. I did some freelancing on the side at night, and then I actually took a job at a print shop in the midday. So that was the hardest year of my life. I was waking up at 3.45 a.m., Monday through Friday, to open up Starbucks. And then I was working until noon and then heavily, heavily caffeinated. I was going to (laughs) my second job. Starbucks helps with that. Oh my gosh. It helped me and it almost killed me. (laughs) I almost had a heart attack at the end of that year, but I won't even get into how much coffee I was drinking or exactly what I was drinking at the time. (laughs) But anyway, it helped me. I was going to my second job after that at a print shop, digital print shop, which was kind of a neat, like new sort of experience for me at the time. And then after that, I would actually come home and I would actually squeeze in a couple or a few hours of freelance work. It was so hard. I was so tired, but you know, my wife, she wanted to be a stay-at-home mom and she didn't have to go and find a job and leave our kids. Like for us, that was a big deal. That was really important. So mm-hmm. made it work, made it happen. Right. Yeah. So anyway, got through that and, uh, and then I got a really great opportunity at another agency and that was a big springboard as well to every job, every opportunity, you guys, you guys know, everybody knows that and listeners know this too. Every opportunity is a springboard to your next big thing. Yeah. Right. I mean, you just take everything you can, you be the best person you can take every, all your learning and put yourself out of your comfort zone to really stretch yourself and grow. And then, and that will just only make you better for your next thing that you're going to do without telling you every single job I've had. Basically I ended up, I worked at MySpace for a while in the good days. That was so much fun. That was probably too much fun, like (laughs) like too much fun at a job. Right. So that was in Beverly Hills in the good days. And then Facebook came and sideswiped us, took us over and we saw it coming. Everybody saw the writing on the wall. We just got too big, too fast. And we had cold fusion as a framework. So there you go. (laughs) That happened. Um, I won't even get into the experience side of things, why things went wrong with MySpace. But all that to say, I'm where I am now. I'm I'll fast forward. I'm at NCM in Denver and we do the first look show before the movies. If you get to the movies early in the United States, there's a preview, like an ad show. And we put that on. We actually just rebranded that and it's called Nuvi now. So um, anyway, that's where I am now and doing user defenders. That's been a huge labor of love. It's really been a side project. I know, Suggy, you've talked a ton about side projects and your viral article too, which I read was very good about yeah. starting your side project. Thanks. You know, that's really been that for me. Yeah, for sure. Here I am. Yeah, of course. Side projects Yeah, are a, a great also like you know way to get new opportunities you know the way that you mentioned opportunities it's like power of momentum where you like you just build it up like a snowball and yes yeah i think that you have you have a great story man uh, thank <laughs> you never told that before all right so let's take a short break to talk about our sponsors envision and fresh books so I bet you all know Envision and love Envision, but today I want to talk to you about designbetter.co. The education team over at Envision created this amazing resource of quality learning material for product designers. They interviewed dozens of leading designers at companies like Google, Airbnb, Netflix, Facebook, Slack, and more, basically to discover their design practices in order to help us learn from that and implement that into our organization. So first of all, they have a podcast that you really need to subscribe to. It's a great podcast. And also they have four books that put together so you better head over to designbetter.co and check those out also you can check out one of the kind workshops for designers freshbooks is the perfect accounting software for freelance designers and developers or creative entrepreneurs with a small business freshbooks is built from the ground up to work for people like us let's say non-accountants they have some really powerful features like integration with stripe expense tracking and a customer support team that actually picks up the phone and works with you to find the perfect solution Actually, my favorite part about FreshBooks is the super smart notifications they send, which show you the highest priority task you can do right now in order to improve your business. Again, if you're an experienced accountant and you're looking for the all-powerful analytical monster of a tool, okay, this is not it. But if you're like us and you're just looking to get some understanding of your business and keep track of things without wasting hours of your time, then this is exactly what you need. 
If you want to see what it's all about, FreshBooks gives you a 30-day free trial and doesn't even require a credit card to log in. So you said user defenders was kind of like at the beginning, one of the ways that you decided to give back to the community that I gave you so much, but how did you decide to do a podcast or how did you find that as the way that you wanted to give back? Yeah, great question, David. I have a pretty big commute to work. I live in Colorado Springs, but I work in South Denver, which is a good hour each way. It used to be farther before we moved. I lived in a little podunk town called Falcon when we first moved here to Colorado, uh, which was actually another half hour away from Denver. So I had a nice commute. And, and when I started, I was living in Falcon when I started User Defenders. So I had a decent commute and I was like, what do I do with this time? You know, and, and I love what Zig Ziglar says. He says, you know, my car is a rolling university, right? And so so it's like, wow, you know what? That could be me too. And I got inspired. I started listening to podcasts and a lot of them were personal growth in nature, which I know is a good fit because you guys also are really into personal growth and, and entrepreneurship. And, and so I think we listen to probably a lot of the same podcasts. And it's funny for me, like I did, it didn't start with listening to design podcast. It started for me by listening to like more personal growth slash entrepreneur podcast and entrepreneur on fire. Like I don't listen to it anymore. I love what JLD is doing, but seven days a week and it just, you know, it starts to feel like a factory. Like the, the questions are, it's just like a speed dating test interview, you know? Mm-hmm. So, but honestly, like he was a huge inspiration for me. And in fact, some of my questions, I even were inspired by some of the questions he asked his guests. And that's the thing is like, you know, being unique, being different, there's nothing really truly different, is there? We all just take our influences and we create something out of that, right? Totally. So that's kind of what I did. I was like, how can I, this seems like such a weird fit, but how can I take my personal growth journey that started through listening to one of Pat Flynn's episodes on the morning routine on how Elrod's Miracle Morning, I was like, why aren't I doing this? Why aren't I taking advantage of the morning? I have six kids, you guys. Can you believe that? Six, six kids? kids. Oh, wow. Yes. 15 That's is the eldest and one is the youngest. So I don't get a lot of free time. You know what I mean? <laughs> so if I want to get crap done, I realize that the only way I'm going to get anything done is if I wake up early and if I actually really focus on myself. And that sounds selfish in a way, and maybe it does, but you know what? Think about this. Like if somebody's battery dies, if somebody's car dies and they're in the middle of the road and you feel led to help them and push their car aside, if you're out of shape, you can't help them. You're going to have a heart attack trying to help somebody else because you're not taking care of yourself first. That's kind of how I see this. That's how I see this whole thing is like, if I'm not taking care of myself, if I'm not building myself up and putting a lot into kind of my personal growth journey, I can't help anyone else, right? It's like, if your cup's empty, what do you have to pour into someone else? So yeah, all that to say, that's kind of what it was for me is like, you know, personal growth. And then like realizing like, shoot, I can tie this really kind of maybe, maybe somewhat disparate content, depending on, you know, who's looking at it, but I could tie this into a podcast for designers because I'm a beginner. Isn't this crazy? You guys like, I've been doing this for 20 plus years and I'm still a beginner because there's so much, I I still don't know everything and I never will. So I think that's what's made this so easy to do user defenders is that I'm a beginner too. I have a beginner's mindset and every question I ask my guests, it's honestly, it's me also wanting to know the answer for my own personal growth and career. So um, that's been a big part of it, David, why I started doing this is like, you know what? This seems like such a great communication. And early on, I was listening to like This American Life, like they were one of the first podcasts out there and then like a film spotting podcast because I like films a lot and those were like the early guys and I was like you know I just love this medium audio is so powerful 
powerful. Audio is so intimate, right? And I was like, maybe there's a way to do something with this. And I always, I fight for the users on my LinkedIn profile and all my other like little signature things. It's like, I fight for the users inspired by Tron, of course. <laughs> and then it clicked one day when I was driving to work, you know, having my little university in my car. <laughs> I realized that I could start something that could help designers, especially newer designers that are trying to navigate this crazy, ever-evolving, as I say, complex landscape. And if I could even help guide one along the way, then that would be worthwhile. Yeah, I really like that the mindset that you said there about you're still trying to learn and the things that you're asking and the things that you're doing are because you genuinely want to know them. And then you say, okay, I could probably share this with other people that want to know it too. Yeah. Sagi and I spoke about this with Noah Kagan as well, that a lot of times you don't have to be an expert in order to teach or to share something. And we even took it one step further and we said that, you know, sometimes the people who are the absolute, you know, best experts on a certain subject or field aren't even the best ones to teach it because they're so far away from the people who want to learn this new thing. So I know for our show too, the subject of our first season was scaling a design team. We decided to do that because basically Sigi was put in a leadership role at SimilarWeb, needed to scale a design team, said, wait, I need to figure out how to do this. Okay, I'm learning as we go. Let's invite people on and who know how to do this. We'll ask them questions because we really want to know this and we'll just share it with other people. And the same thing for our season two was the same kind of thing. We said, okay, scaling a side project. We had just quit our jobs to take our side project and turn it into something full-time. We said, okay, let's invite people on who know how to do this and let's share it with people. Nice. Right, Sagi? I think we both really relate with that kind of mindset. Yeah. I love that. I think you can make it into a very famous quote. <laughs> when you have a beginner's mindset, you always learn. Yes. <laughs> It's just true, man. Like, I really can relate to that. So, totally. And about the podcast, we had a few questions. So... I think that one of the things that probably a lot of our audience is asking themselves is like, how do I even start a podcast if I want? And it's kind of like podcasts are getting like very attractive. More people are listening to podcasts these days. So more people are opening up podcasts, but still like some technological slash mental barrier is there. So you had people on the show like Chris Coyer, Samuel Hulick, which we also have, by the way, are amazing yeah. people, Aaron Walter, Nireyal. So... First of all, let me ask you the most important question. How do you find these guests? How do you get to them? Yeah, so a lot of it's through Twitter. Twitter is a great tool. You can really sort of eavesdrop in a way on, and it's a great scouting tool. I've probably found most of my guests through Twitter. I also made a list of people like, I really want to talk to these people. And a lot of them are, have been, you know, my superheroes, my design superheroes, if you will, that I grew up respecting, you know, Zeldin was one of them. So his interview, that was a dream come true for me to be mm -hmm. quite honest. And, and then it was just amazing. Like he spent like an hour, almost an hour extra with me that I had to split it into two episodes, which was just so cool. So anyway, that was a really fun one. But I think the way that I find people, it's through Twitter, kind of looking for interesting things, looking like for people who are doing really interesting things and whether or not they're web celebrities, right? I don't really care about that as much. I know that it helps a lot. And I know there's other shows that really just look for the high caliber players that, you know, and it's obviously great for exposure because these people who have, you know, as we talked about influencers, these people have thousands, hundreds of thousands of followers typically. And so of course your show is going to get exposure for that. And that's great. But I think what's really exciting to me is discovering folks like newer designers that, that aren't celebrities that aren't really well known, that their efforts aren't really that noticed yet. Kind of like my medium articles. And to be able to kind of really shine a spotlight on these folks. So that's what really excites me. And that's hard to do. It, I can't say it's like a skill set, but it's really just kind of using the superpower of observation, as I say. Yeah, I think that 
you know, it's also you have the courage to kind of like reach out to people. Yes, that too. <laughs> it's like the networking mindset here is also something that is worth mentioning. I mean, you probably have that. I don't know. It's like the first time I reached out to some influencer was like to even people that, you know, to be on my show were like, I remember the feeling was very strangely kind of like before you call a girl on a date when you're like in middle school or something. <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. It's like, wait, what if, what if they say no? Uh, what will I do? Junior high <laughs> dance, boys on one side, girls on the other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So recently someone reached out to me and basically when they reached out to me for some just like consultation about something and I told them like I'm going to talk to you just because you reached out to me and like they were following the blog and well she said I already got a no so why not ask the no is already there mm-hmm, you know? that's right so I think it's a great takeaway like the no is already there like unless you reach out to someone and ask them if they want to be on your show then the no is already there you might as well just get a yes yeah that's absolutely true and the more you do this and you guys probably know this too it's like people will start reaching out to you and go, wow, you know, I want to be a guest on the show. And, and that's, I've had some more recently, since there's more people listening, I've had people reach out to me and say, hey, here's what I do. Here's a book I wrote. I'd love to be a guest on your show. Things like that. So mm-hmm. those are also ways. I also liked what you said about that you don't necessarily only look for kind of like the digital celebrities and stuff. Yeah. And you're looking for people who are just genuinely doing interesting stuff even if they themselves don't necessarily have a giant following. I think that this is super important because, you know, if you have a following and you can bring people in from your own audience, that's something that you can bring that's really different to your podcast. On our show, we had three episodes with members of the Side Project Accelerator. And actually, I'm looking through our podcast stats now, and those three episodes, just pure statistics-wise, analytics-wise, they did, you know, some of them in some cases even did better than some of our shows with like, you know, the, the celebrity types. Wow. And just there are different kind of shows that I don't think anyone would have thought to bring this guest on, at least, you know, before they were brought onto our show, brought something different that, you know, people don't have a chance to hear. So I, I liked what you said about that. I think that really resonates with me. Cool. Yeah. And by the way, Noah Kagan said that too. The, some episodes that are really successful are the episodes of not the hot shots, yeah, but you know of less known people. Yeah, Pat Flynn's done that too. He's he's invited you know people that have learned from him and that have done great things, and he's like, let me shine a spotlight on you and what you're doing. You know, I respect that. Just to yeah. looking at the analytics we have here now, our most downloaded episode in the first week that it was out was actually episode number twenty one with Rizwan Javed from the Side Project Accelerator. Really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Wow, it's amazing. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So there's the spotlight. Yep. It's amazing. All right. So what would you say, Jason, are your tips for like people that, you know, really want to start a podcast in terms of setting up the gear and everything that, you know, needs to happen once they want to start a podcast of their own? Yeah. First of all, I say focus Focus on your audience. Who is it? And try to keep that audience of one in mind always. I think that's a huge, that's of utter importance, honestly, when you're doing anything, when you're focusing on putting content out, you really should be thinking about that one kind of persona, if you will, that's going to really benefit from what you have to say. It seems like the more kind of deviate away or try to kind of spread the net out further than that, you start getting into the zone of talking to everyone yet talking to no one at the same time. Mm -hmm. So I think that's honestly one of the most important things is to figure out who am I serving? Who do I really want to serve? Because if there's one person, then I guarantee there's thousands like that one person that's looking for whatever you're trying to put out there. I'd say that's really the number one thing to focus on and then focus on your content. Like what is it? What do you have to say? What is your mission? I suppose focus on the mission. So before you start getting a domain name, making a logo, 
right? Like getting all these hosting services set up because you guys know it's not, it's not cheap to be a podcaster. It's not cheap to be a showrunner. It costs money. Every single episode you put out, it costs you money and it's okay. Yeah. It's worth it. And, and it's free content. That's what's so neat about podcasts is like, this is free content that's helping people. So it's a little investment. So I think really just get that stuff in, in order, get those ducks in a row before you start spending money for the love of God. Don't take a loan to start a podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> especially without knowing if anybody's even interested in what you're doing. Validate, try to validate your idea. Try to validate your concept. Here's what I did for user defenders. We were going to take a summer vacation and I had been thinking about this show for probably two months before that vacation was to occur. And so I, I wanted to validate this thing. And I was like, I know I'm going to be gone for a couple of weeks. Like I'm on fire about this. I want to, I want to get this out there as soon as possible. So mm -hmm. what I did was I put a landing page out there and it was a way to kind of collect emails too. Initially like, Hey, announcement emails, right? Like I'm interested. Yeah. Let me know when you're live. I want to be the first to know about this. So I made a landing page and I just touched on, I had the logo in place by then. And so I was able to put that out there. It was very rudimentary, but it worked. And so I got that out there and then I made a medium post and that mm -hmm. topic actually resonated with people. I think the the subject said it all. You know, a lot of times maybe we try to get clever with our blog titles and we just think like, oh, this is like my artistic side. That's like, if you get it, you'll get it. And you know, but, uh -huh. but honestly, like in articles, people are so busy. They don't have time. They're not going to spend any time on anything that's not relevant to them. So I, this is the case where I would totally spelled out exactly what this article was about in the title. I think I said, I'm starting a design podcast called user defenders. That was my title. And that actually ended up getting some traction. People seemed interested in that and people were sharing that. And then by the time I got back from vacation, I had 75 emails, I think, Whoa. waiting uh, for people. Yeah, just from that simple thing there. Amazing. So this means you put out a post saying you were going to start the podcast, but you hadn't actually yep. started or recorded or done anything yet. Precisely. Amazing. Okay. I validated it first. And was there like some sort of call to action to email you inside of it or how, what was in the post that got people so excited about it? I just sent people to the landing page. Mm -hmm. I said, Hey, if you want to be the first to know, go check out the landing page, put your email in and you'll be the first to hear about it Okay. when it goes live. So there was a landing page and you collected emails on it and said that we'll update you when the show's out. Yep. Awesome. Yeah, and I think that you also did something that David and I kind of uh, phrase as a commit first, carry out mm. later approach. Yeah. It's a great way for anyone to launch anything. Absolutely agree. What you did with the podcast is exactly what I did with my Israeli blog, uh, Pixel Perfect, which is just like opening a landing page and having people sign up. And then it already starts the momentum that you need when you launch, because now you have 75 people just waiting to hear that first episode. So you already have audience. Yeah, it's all sorts of good feels. Like, wow, okay, I'm on the right track here. Like, I'm going to push forward. I'm going to push on yeah, here. That's really awesome, man. Cool. So I think there's a lot of insights for people that want to start their own podcast. You know, people just start and, you know, commit first, carry out later. Yeah. Remember that. So it's a great way to open a podcast or anything. The other genius thing was that you knew right away, you said, I'm going to start collecting emails. Today, what do you do with these emails? Are you still using them? Or are you sending out updates each episode or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. So I do. I send out emails before every episode, actually the day of every episode launch, I'll send an email out to my list and it's sort of become multi-purpose. You guys inspire me on your email list about kind of putting, you know, kind of aggregating some, some design links. And it's like, oh, you know, I'm not really doing that. Maybe that would help some of my audience too, is to kind of, Hey, here's some interesting things that I found. It's not just, here's all of my content. It's like, no, here's other people's content that I think you might find uh, useful as well. So I started, I added a little bit of that on there, but basically there's a few purposes to my newsletter. One, 
it's a way for my audience to kind of get a little glimpse into my life, what's going on in my life at the time. I do a little short intro blurb and then I do the guest announcement and then I do a usable thought. It's like basically like a little blog post. So that's kind of what keeps me committed to writing too, you guys. Like we talked about writing and it's like, if you kind of want to be consistent, kind of lock yourself into something, lock yourself into a schedule to where you're going to be releasing stuff. So what this does is it forces me to come up with something and I try to tie it into the episode too, which makes it kind of adds that value to kind of getting more maybe ears on the episode as well. So, Mm -hmm. and then I do like a couple of aggregated links and that's about it. And maybe like, you know, subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on Google Play and Android, whatever. And then maybe like, maybe talk about this. Could you talk about the episode on Twitter? Because that's always nice to kind of see people talking about the episode and what they got out of it, their takeaways. So that's Uh pretty much the guts of my newsletter, if you will. Very cool. Yeah, totally. And by the way, if you want to do curation for the newsletter, you can use Curation Kit, which is basically our toolkit. So, Oh, nice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we we have a special toolkit that we basically built, which is our tools that we use to make our newsletter. And we just put that into one package with an online course. And it's up live at curationkit.com. Oh, very cool. So anyways, we'll show you later. It's pretty cool. Yeah, nice. Well, thanks to you, Sagi. I started using Calendly for my scheduling. That schedule software I used before sucked. (laughs) Let's be honest. The UI, everything was awful about it. The whole experience was terrible. I was like, I'm trying to get user experience professionals to come on my show. And the very first door they open is this terrible UI and experience. Like, that's not good. So thanks for that. Yeah, no problem. No problem. (laughs) It's funny. Just today I had a rant with a friend. We're all mentors at the Google Launchpad. So we're like mentoring startups every once in a while. We have this reporting tool, which some of the mentors built to report, you know, our activities in the community. And then the report tool is like, has the poorest UI I've ever seen. The poorest like user experience in the world. And uh, we're just like, oh God, come on. How can this even be possible that, you know, the worst experience that we ever have is like in the Google Mentor, like UX Mentor. Oh my goodness. It reminds me of that Chris Coyer episode that I did. You know, we were talking about being a user of your own product. And it's like some people, like some gurus out there would be like so surprised you're actually using your own product. You're not the user. No, you know what? I am the user sometimes. And uh, I love how Chris Coyer is the user of his product. That's why he created it for himself. Right. Like most yeah. great products, they were created by the user because they needed it. So anyway, I just love that. It's like, use your crap. Don't just create yeah. something and throw it out into the world without testing it, without using it and without watching people use it. It happens so often. You're just like, oh, my gosh, why are you doing this to us? You know, what I mean? <laughs> why, why are you doing why are you yeah. unleashing this upon the world? Design is supposed to make things better. And here's the thing. Don't just use it once and then throw it in the wild and never go back to it. Like this is a really good takeaway and good lesson. Like go back and use it frequently. Stuff changes. Like mm-hmm. you never know. Stuff code gets pushed, right? Go back and use that or your mission changes or your, your content changes a little bit. You might have something that's totally outdated and you don't even realize it because you haven't gone to look at it. Yeah. Your audience isn't going to take the time to tell you that. That's on you. That's your responsibility. Yeah, totally. I think that's a very valid point. And there's also this kind of thing going on in the world where like, you know, there's people who say you should find a good business opportunity and build upon that. And there's us kind of like the makers that are like, no, like we can make our own tools eventually. So, you know, let's just solve our own, you know, scratch our own itches and create great products for niches that we actually need. So I think that's a great way to go. Yeah. My wife and I were just talking last night. She's looking for a little table right next to our front door to put a little Mm -hmm. like a diffuser, an oil diffuser, kind of be able to put mail there instead of like on our kitchen counter, which is the awful place for it. And she's just (laughs) like spending hours searching the web, scouring the web for like the right thing, the right table. And she can't find it. And she said something that was really kind of interesting and kind of cool to me. 
as a designer is he's like, no wonder people become designers. They just don't see what they need and they just go and make it. I said, exactly. That's <laughs> right. That's amazing. Just make it yourself. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. We are the makers. That's the people right. that actually can make and they teach themselves how to make. And we are the dreamers of dreams. Darling. So. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, about making your own stuff, like, do you edit your own podcast episodes? I do not. And I'm so glad that I don't have to. <laughs> yeah. I did. I did for the first three episodes just to prove something to myself, to prove that I could do this and I could do everything myself. I got everything out the door myself. It was probably like maybe a, a little ego trip. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, honestly, like I wanted to dive into this. When you start, you don't have any revenue to hire people. You have no revenue. If you go into this and listeners, I have a feeling many of you are thinking about starting a podcast. And I think that's awesome, especially again, if you have something really important to say and share and to serve others with, but count the cost, you know, count the cost. It is a lot of work. It's a ton of work. It's a huge commitment. A lot of new shows don't get past episode five or six. That's the reality of it. So count the cost and just try to do as much as you can on your own. Try to do that initially, unless you have like really great people that are willing to help you for free. And that's one of the blessings for my show is my editor. He is a friend from church and he came up to me. He's our audio engineer over there. And he's like, hey, let me help you with this. And I said, what? Mm -hmm. You want to? I said, I can't pay you. I have no revenue. He said, that's okay. I want to add this to my portfolio. I want to use this as a part of my resume for my experience. And I said, dude, have at it. Here you go. And he's been with me ever since episode four. He started on episode four with me and he's been with me ever since. And I'm actually able to pay the guy now for episodes, which is really kind of exciting. Awesome. Yeah. He's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Chris Combs. <laughs> cool. And does he also make the show notes? No, I had somebody else come in and help me do that. I've, <laughs> it's funny. That's been the <laughs> highest turnover for this. It's not fun. It's not glamorous. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's the hard work. It's, it's hard. It, it's, it's, not, it's not that it's hard. It's just, it's not fun. It's just time consuming. That's why I'm asking. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so important. I've had people, I've had volunteers come and help me with that. And sadly, the third guy that I had come and help out, he just stepped down like literally three days ago. He just mm -hmm. said, I just got to, I got to step down. And I totally understand it. He's trying to find work right now. So this was something he was kind of doing on the side while trying to find a job. So I was like, dude, yeah, survival, like Montero says, survival is not a soft skill. <laughs> Staying alive <laughs> is not a soft skill. So dude, go do that. But he was so awesome. And he even started doing like little takeaways. If you see takeaways in the last few episodes like that was his work and just kind of summarizing mm -hmm. the things and so that's a hard area that's hard to find and that's something I'll do if I have to do it mm -hmm. I'll do it but it's the 80-20 rule right you want to like you want to 20% of the effort can produce 80% of the results and that's up through outsourcing yeah. right through outsourcing help so that's an area that uh, I'm trying to work out though I found somebody in the Philippines to help me <laughs> with my show notes so she's taking a gander she's taking a, a stab at the first one here awesome <clears throat> yeah that's really awesome <laughs> and because I was asking because you have amazing show notes um, thanks to anyone listening right now please go and visit user defenders and see the show notes these are like really great show notes wow. they have timestamps. they have like uh, takeaways and you draw the characters or is that also no, like that's also help that's somebody that helps me you know michael hyatt that's amazing michael hyatt is a is I'm sure you guys are familiar with it. He's like my virtual mentor. Yep. And I wish, Michael, if you're listening, which you probably aren't, because I don't think you listen to very many <laughs> podcasts, but hey, you know, can you put your podcast back on the RSS feed? He started doing Facebook lives and it's, I feel like alienated because I'm not going to go on Facebook to do that for a podcast exchange. But anyway, he said, if your dream doesn't require a team, your dream's not big enough. 
And so I realized like, like that's a really great quote. And I realized that I do have a big dream. I do want this to continue to grow. I do want this to continue to help people. And anyway, I have an artist, an incredible artist named Eli Jorgensen, who was a referral from a, my good buddy, RJ, who's helped the show so much. He lives out in Denver. And uh, anyway, he's this guy, my artist. I love this guy. I, before that, I had another guy who was a friend, Cesar Lemus. I love you, man. He helped so much. He was, he totally volunteered a lot of his time. He knew I couldn't pay him. He did it for the labor of love to, to give the show a a differentiation. And I think that's one of the things that makes a show unique. Every guest gets their own superhero art. It ties into the theme of the superhero. And so anyway, Eli's doing it now and he's just been slaying it. Awesome. Awesome. That's that's really cool because again, you know, like show notes is also something that people kind of in a lot of podcasts tend to either ignore or, you know, not do because they take a lot of time. Like even us, we had like a lot of our episodes, even up to now are not such, I would say, good show notes. <laughs> we should do better. But yeah, it's like, because it's hard work also to get all the timestamps and, you know, re-listening and writing off comments and then like putting it inside a post, creating the artwork for everything, posting it. And then, you know, the actual work begins of spreading the word about the podcast yeah, because, you, you know, market if the you thing. don't spread it out. Right? <laughs> it's true. It's a lot of work. So, yeah, man, like a uh, great job with that. Thank you. So I would like to shift maybe like the conversation. Sure. Going back to the discussions of tools that make you who you are. I think we, we started touching mm-hmm. on that and then we like kind of left. So I just want to close that topic. So maybe, Siggy, maybe, maybe Jason can give us just a short summary for anyone who hasn't read the article yet, what he was writing about. Sure. Yeah, sure. So I'm trying to remember exactly what inspired me to write this. Like if there was something, a lot of times it's something that maybe happened or something that I maybe observed or something happened to me. And you know what I think mm-hmm. what inspired this? I think a lot of it had to do with a couple of books that I had read. One is called Grit and one is called Mindset. And those are incredible books, listeners. If you're Mm -hmm. looking for really great books, it'll push you and really open a whole new mindset, if you will. Those Mm -hmm. books, I think that was part of this. And I think I just wanted to really get that message of mindset out there. Because have you guys read Mindset? No. No. It's so good by Dr. Carol Dweck. And you know how they say, don't judge a book by its cover. Please don't because the cover sucks. It's ugly. (laughs) It looks like it was designed in the seventies or something uh, or eighties. So the cover is really awful, but the book is is amazing. It's on audible. It's on, you know, overdrive. It's like a library, free public library app. So anyway, great book. And I think I just really wanted to get that message out there more because I think oftentimes we can rely on our tools too much to where we actually don't know what to do when they break. And I think that was a big part of it. And also for some of the newer, like my audience, I said, I, I really have a heart for newer designers just jumping in because it's crazy, right? It's overwhelming. Like there's so much to learn, so much to know and to keep up with. And so I really just wanted to try to inspire those folks, especially that don't let your lack of tools stop you from pursuing this if this is your passion. If you're passionate about helping people and solving problems for them and, and technology and, and everything that's happening, if you're passionate and you want to make a difference in this field and dive in, don't let it stop you. I love Adobe and they're a sponsor actually of the podcast right now. And, and I love the tools that they've created. My first website I created in Photoshop. And my current product that I'm working on at work, I'm using XD. So I mean, I love their tools, Mm -hmm. but let's be honest. There's a lot of people who can't afford a creative cloud subscription right now. There's a lot of, Mm -hmm. especially newer designers. They don't maybe have a stability right now, but need to design. Don't let that stop you. 
that's really, that was kind of the unction, I think, and, and the core message behind this. And I kind of opened the article with a couple of backstories for myself. I've been trying to get a lot more vulnerable and a lot more transparent in my writing, kind of just be open about some of my stories and failures and things like that and victories, of course. And this one was kind of a victory because I, I kind of opened the article with how I wanted to skateboard because I was inspired by my neighbor. I was watching him do some crazy tricks. He was incredible. So I wanted a skateboard and the next Christmas I got a skateboard, but it was a Ninja Dragon Master. It was just like the worst, (laughs) (laughs) the cheapest, worst possible. It was like a price club, which was the the Costco equivalent back in the eighties. Skateboard. Okay. It had, and there's a picture in the article. If you look at it, I was able to find one. Thankfully, somebody had preserved that uh, for all time. It is the ugliest thing. It has a cool little design of a dragon in it, but it's got got a nose guard. It's got a nose guard. It's got a tail guard. It's got these cheap little rails. It's totally not designed well. It it doesn't have a concave nose. Anyway, (laughs) but you know what? That was my skateboard and I was going to learn how to ollie on it. I was going to learn how to, to go off lawn tramps on it. And I did. I eventually did that on this piece of crap, right? It's like, I did that. And I felt proud of myself. I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this. And I did it. And then I wanted to play guitar when I was in high school. I was inspired by a good friend and I wanted to learn how to play guitar. And my parents came through again, as I said in the article, they bought me a really cheap electric guitar. It was called a Series 10. And I guarantee 99.9% of the audience has never heard of a Series 10 guitar, even the music enthusiast. (laughs) (laughs) And I got a little tiny Stuart Little sized crate amplifier. Okay. So I was limited. Okay. Let's be honest. I was limited. I didn't have very good tools. However, I wanted to learn how to play guitar and nothing was going to stop me from doing that. So I ended up taking lessons that lasted about a week. My instructor had an awesome mullet and that was one that I wasn't going to hold that against him, but he tried to show me rock you like a hurricane. Okay. I was out. That was it for me. You know what I did? I actually, I loved Metallica. I learned every single Metallica song to date. And this was just after and justice for all was released. I learned by ear and I even played sick. Sorry, mom. I played sick from school a lot to actually stay home and learn Metallica songs, but I did it. I did it. I was limited. I was limited by my tools, but I didn't let that stop me from doing what I was passionate about. And I also tell a story about a friend who was a little more privileged than I, his parents got him a Jackson flying V. Okay. That's Randy Rhodes guitar. Randy Rhodes was Ozzy Osbourne's original guitarist, one of the biggest legends in heavy metal guitar ever. And those are a few G's, you know, depending on which one you get. You can spend two to five G's on those easily. And he got that. And they also bought him a Marshall half stack. Okay. <laughs> he had the right tools, but he couldn't play guitar for beans. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he never got better. And I think this goes back to mindset. I think the mindset was if I just have the same tools as Randy Rhodes, I could play like Randy Rhodes. It does not work that way. So that was a large part of the reason I wrote this article is really to be a source of inspiration for folks that maybe are tool deficient. Okay. Don't let mm-hmm. that stop you. And I think this was another thing, Sagi, that I said when I responded to your comment, I said, there might be somebody in India right now who has an idea that's going to cure cancer. Okay. I know that's probably a little exaggerative or whatever. It's a little lofty to say that, but somebody who has an idea that's going to save somebody's lives let's say it, put it that way. And they can't go forward with their ideas because they maybe don't have the right tools. Don't give up. 
Mm-hmm. But that was my real heart behind it. Like, we need you. We need you to keep exploring these problems and keep trying to find the solutions to these problems. And please don't let the lack of tools stop you from that pursuit. Yeah. So I think that I kind of like formed in my mind the kind of like opinion that I have about this. Yes. Right? <laughs> all right, cool. So first of all, I agree with you. I will start by saying yeah. that. So I agree with you that, and I think that's exactly the point that I'm getting to in my head, is an image of a graph, basically a timeline. So when you start out anything, and you want to start out anything, please don't let the tools be there to hold you back from doing what you want to do. That's like the last thing you want to do when you're starting out, okay? And I also, I learned like Photoshop by myself when I decided I want to be a designer. I quit my job back in sales and just said, okay, I'm going to be a designer and I just took whatever I could, like very bad computer and some Photoshop that I had and I ripped off disk from a friend <laughs> Pirated, with Photoshop right? uh, tutorials. <laughs> <laughs> but I did it. I just like for 30 days in my 30 days notice, I, I worked in my basically in my parents' basement and studied Photoshop and design. And then I started working as a designer. So I totally agree with you. When you're starting out, please don't let the tools hold you back from doing whatever you're doing. And then you walk down the path of the timeline until the point where you already know what you want to know. So that's the funny part. Right here in the middle, where you're not a pro yet, you already, after you started out already, then you need to decide, okay, am I going to be serious about this or not? And if you are going to be serious about it, then you might not still be at the point where you have money for the best gear. But some of the best gear is just like you don't have a lot of stuff to decide on, right? It's either PC or Mac, and Mac costs a lot of money. So if you're a designer, what I did as a student already, and I was broke, I was even like effing broke. Like I was just a student, a design student. We lived at this like shitty apartment, no money whatsoever, no savings or, or something like that. But I bought my first Mac with like payment plan and like with money that I didn't have. And you know, that's how I bought my first Mac. But I said, I'm working now as a designer already. I might as well work with the best tool that they say is out there. I'm not still sure what that tool is, you know, but everybody says it's so great. So I'm going to listen to the kind of like ecosystem that I'm in and I'm going to get this as an investment for my business. And that happened to be the best decision I made back at the time to get that Mac. Yeah. It was a hard kind of shift from PC to Mac, but then once you, you know, once you go Mac, you can't go back. It's like <laughs> so I think that's like the point where a lot of people at that stage, they tell themselves, no, the tools don't make who I am. And I find that specifically here in Israel mm-hmm. is something that is holding a lot of people back from either switching to Sketch on UI design or, right. you know, like ditching their old tools or buying them even a Mac when, you know, they are designers and they're working with clients and they see everyone is using a Mac, even like sometimes it gets to the point where they're developers and people like around them are using a Mac, but no, they have a PC and, you know, no, it's expensive. I'm like, dude, you're making like, you know, a lot of money, <laughs> uh, enough <laughs> to buy a Mac, at least with payments. Yeah. So like, yeah. don't tell me you don't have the money to buy it and don't tell me that's like, yeah, of course it's a risk. Of course, you mean like tomorrow if everything, like the market shuts down and you're like, you know, someone takes your home or I don't know, like a, yeah. A storm comes in, then yeah, you're going to be left broke, but it's not such a big risk. And that's exactly the point where I say, like, if you want to be pro, use the right tools, because at that stage, when you're just not pro enough, or even if you are pro enough on that stage of the timeline forward, you should use, I think, the best tools, because then what they do is they boost your productivity. You can ship more in less time, which basically elevates your value as a designer. Therefore, you're going to make more money. So the investment is just like, you know, multiplying itself. Yeah. 
No, I and I totally agree with your perspective too, Soggy. I think we're both right. I think <laughs> I think we're both right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's totally, kind totally. of like two different concepts going on here. One is if you should invest in yourself and your business and when you should do that. And the mm-hmm. second one is what Jason said about, you know, don't let anything hold you back. And I think that they both are super important. And, you know, it's definitely not like a black and white scenario that this is the way to go and that one's not the way to go. It's kind of, you definitely shouldn't let things hold you back. You know, don't like have excuses and don't be stopped from doing something that you want to do just because these are the circumstances. And at the same time, you also need to, as we move forward in our lives and our careers, you need to be able to have the skill and the judgment to recognize when it's time to invest in something that you want to happen in the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think it's, it kind of comes to like, say you're a hobbyist, your photography. And I got a couple of tweets, responses to this article, and there was a little bit of a conversation happening around that. There's some like really great photographers that choose to only use like a really antiquated camera. And I think it's really neat for the craft and for the aesthetic. Like if you just want to make cool art, I think that's great. Like, yeah, sure. And everything old is new again, right? You guys notice that? It's all cyclical. Everything old is new. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's great. And I'm all for handcrafting. And that was my second post that I wrote about was robotic web design because we started getting all these WYSIWYG ways of making websites. And I think it's great for efficiency, but I also think that there's some joy lost with the craftsmanship. So I think there's a, as a fine line, I think if you're a hobbyist and you're just using your own time to make art, then by all means, like go wild. I love that. And I appreciate art too. I love seeing stuff that's done in a really different way and, you know, to produce a cool result. But, and Suggy, to your point, and I totally agree, like if you're working for somebody and you're on the payroll and you're doing something, especially if you know that there's a better way to do it, a faster way to do it and a tool that will help you get there faster, save the company money, and then also like help you kind of progress in your career with kind of learning some other tools that'll help you in the future. I think it's kind of holding yourself back. You're holding the company back. And I think that's where it becomes more of a problem. Yeah, I'm totally totally down with that. I think that, and please people listening to this, like, you know, open your minds to hear what the market is saying, because that's something that really can elevate people. Like some people that I had discussions with about like the smack thing or sketch, like I wrote about moving to sketch three years ago, even more like four years ago here in Israel, like on my Israeli blog, but nobody moved and everybody said, no, are you crazy? Like, you know, you're going to go back to Photoshop and stuff. And only now, like so many companies are moving to sketch, but you know, they could have moved back like four years ago. And if they had, the deliverables would have been faster, exactly <laughs> like mine have become faster, like half a year after I started using sketch. In that half a year, not that it dropped, it was kind of the same. But then like half a year later, it was like super faster, like iterating faster, shipping faster, working then like with principle and kind of like program to create micro interactions to communicate better with the developers and create better results faster. So that, I guess, made my company a lot of money. So that was a great investment. You know, learning is also an investment. Yeah. It's true. So you and definitely found like the tool that, you know, ended up being the tool for designers, let's say. But something else I think there is to think about here is, mm-hmm. especially in the JavaScript world, let's say, there's new frameworks all the time and there's new tools all mm. the time. If, you know, you decided to switch your website from, you know, Angular to React to Vue to any new mm-hmm. framework that comes out because it's the new hot tool, you know, just as soon as it comes out, no one person can follow all of these things. So what do you guys think about how to say like, okay, this is the time that I'm going to learn a new tool or new framework or new whatever it is. And, you know, this one I'm going to let other people experiment with first and wait and to see if this is going to catch. Yeah, it's a great question, David. I love tools. Okay. And I, 
I love what they do for me, for my process. I'm definitely a fan of tools. I think I said in the article, like, I'm not downplaying the importance of tools. Trust me, I'm a homeowner, <laughs> right? Like, I've tried to do projects around the house with deficient tools. It, it does not work well. There are certain occasions <laughs> where you need to find a way to save the money, budget for it, and get that tool that's going to help you and look at it as an investment. But I feel like be, be careful of the overfetish. And I know I'm going to screw this word up, fetitization of tools. Be wary of that because I think often we become toolers where that's all we really talk about are the tools. And we kind of forget about the whole process. Like I just started reading the sprint book and pretty much the whole process is done without tools, right? If you think about it, the whole design discovery and business process, you don't even incorporate any type of prototyping tools until like the last day or the day before. And then you're testing it the last day. So that's one example is like we, we tend to over fetishize whatever are tools. Uh And I think that honestly, whatever tool works for whatever your goal is, if that works for you better than a different tool, then great right? Then that's awesome. And if you're more efficient in Photoshop, I don't know how you could be with UI design, but if you happen to be, you might be, you might be way more efficient in Photoshop than in sketch. That's pretty awesome. But I think the challenge also, we start getting into team environments where there's the the one designer that's using Photoshop when the other four are using sketch, that becomes a problem, right? That becomes kind of a management decision where I think the manager has to kind of say, you know what? I know you're awesome at Photoshop, but we need to really all be using the same tool here because it takes our guys another two hours to convert your Photoshop design into sketch, which is where you're handing off to the developers. So I think there's that conversation too. That's an important one to think about the team and you got to all be in the same ecosystem there, right? So those are just a couple of initial thoughts about it. Yeah, of course. I think that if you're on a team, then you might as well move as a team. You can move like alone in a team that works all with Photoshop, but I think that you need to consider it as a team. Regarding the design sprint, I think it's a great example of how Mm -hmm. you can use the right tools because yeah, four days out of the five, then you're not working with tools. But in that one day that you have, you have to know the greatest tools that will get you to the fastest result of a great prototype that you can actually test on the fifth day. And I just did a sprint last week with a client. And in that sprint, we had the prototyping day. We cut it into four days. So we had like one day of like crazy, like basically it was like since 2 p.m. we started prototyping and we had to finish the prototype on that day. And that was really intense. And if I wasn't using exactly the right tools and knew ahead of time what are the right tools to use, then I guess I wouldn't have got the prototype right or Mm. hadn't finished it correctly and being able to really test it effectively on that last day of the sprint. So yeah, so there's like the, the both of the kind of sides of David, you framed it right. It's kind of like basically the balance between the greatest tool that you should use and what Jason, what you're saying about like, you know, you know, don't be a tool. A or tooler. Like, no, don't be a <laughs> tooler. tooler. Don't yeah. be a tool. <laughs> <laughs> don't be a tool. That's, you just named the episode, <laughs> I think. That's hard to do. Yeah, it is hard. So. It is hard because you don't know like, ah, what should I call the episode? With, I, I, what's going to bring more clicks and <laughs> SEO? But people that want to be right, disappointed exactly. when they hear the episode and it's not really about that. But yeah. <laughs> I just want to give you guys a little, like a short anecdote before we get into, you know, the next subject here, but. Which is wrapping uh, up, so by the like, way. <laughs> what's that? Which is wrapping up, by the way, because in four minutes, <laughs> I have to pick up my kid from the babysitter. <laughs> so just. <laughs> I want to tell a story before okay. we go, if yeah. I could. So, well, I'll, I'll keep it quicker. What I wanted to say is that just on the same storyline of like, uh, you know, Siggy would jumping into sketch fairly early ended up being really successful for you as Sketch, you know, became the tool for designers and the whole design world ended up adopting it and you were at the forefront of it. There's definitely a risk there. I had 
a bit of a, a kind of the opposite thing happened to me when I was first starting out in my development career. In 2009, I started getting into web development. I was in college and I looked for like any classes or any things I could take at the time into web design, web development. There was hardly anything in the college. And I found this class that was like about web design and the teacher was teaching Flash and ActionScript 3. And I spent the entire semester learning Flash, ActionScript 3, and I was getting really into it. And I also got my first job mm. as a web developer. So I was working at the law school for University of Florida as a web developer there in the communications department. And they had like this big project they wanted me to work on. And I said, of course, I'll build it in Flash. And I got super into Flash. It was the first thing I did as a web developer was learn Flash in 2009. Nice. Well, for everyone who doesn't remember, in April of 2010, Steve Jobs comes out and says that, <laughs> oh, Flash? Well, the iPhone is not going to support it. And Apple is basically going to war with Adobe and we feel like we want to crush it. Yep. So uh, goodbye, Flash. Mm -hmm. And everything that you just learned for the past year, like starting your career as a web developer, <laughs> you can basically go suck it. So pretty much. That's why I'm, I'm a bit torn because I'm all for taking risk on, on learning new things. And definitely what I haven't really figured out, I think myself is when, if there's some sort of formula or framework to say, this is the amount of time you should invest in new tools, or this is when you should adopt a new tool, as opposed to see if it will play out. Yeah, that's so true. And I remember I, I saw that happening too. And I was, at the time I was at a job where I was about to get laid off. I, I just kind of knew it, you know, you just kind of have that feeling there's all your work is kind of being shifted to other people. <laughs> and at the time it was like, I had a little free time on my hands and, and my manager was like, well, why don't you take this time to learn flash? And I, I started to, and, and it was a lot of, it was action script. And, and that's of course, as we know, a derivative of JavaScript. And, and I still don't know JavaScript. I'm sorry to say, and I'm finally coming to peace with that, coming to terms with that. But anyway, I just couldn't, I couldn't get it. And I was like, you know, I bet you this is going to go away. I bet you, <laughs> I just had a feeling, I don't know what it was. I said, feel I'm like, I bet I'm going to spend all this time learning this and then it's, it's just going to go away. And and certainly that's what happened. And, and then, it, like you said, thanks to Steve yeah. Jobs, talk about an influencer, <laughs> right? So I totally agree, David. And I think if you are wanting to learn code, JavaScript seems like a safe bet still. <laughs> it's It's been the language of the web since the beginning and I don't see that changing anytime soon. So I think that's a safe bet. Yeah. And Regarding, by the way, your question before, David, I think that I'm specifically I myself, I don't see myself as a loyal user of any kind of software. If Figma turns out to be better than Sketch, I would move to Figma. And regarding adopting the tool, I'm just waiting for the fuss on Medium. Again, going back to and closing where the attention is. <laughs> when mm -hmm. someone posts like tutorial on yeah. Figma and like why you should switch to Figma, I read that article, I read its comments, I search on Twitter for the comments. And if I see there's enough fuss, I would actually go into Figma and you know start a trial or something just to make sure that it works. But I moved to Sketch after reading basically half a year of main toes content on Medium about like how he moved to Sketch and how slowly but surely this became the tool of choice for him. So yeah. Yeah, totally agree. And by the way, I'll caveat this. This has been an awesome discussion and, and I, it hasn't been an argument at all because I think, like we said, we're yeah, both totally. right. And, and I think we both agree with, with those perspectives. But I want to close with this story that is, I think, sort of reinforces my initial sort of motivation in writing this about not depending too much on our tools, mm -hmm. but just really letting our passions define kind of our drive, let it, letting that drive us, and then using tools uh, as a superpower, if you will. So real quick here, in, on May 31st, 2009, David, when you were learning web design and development, <laughs> uh, somewhere around there, uh, 216 passengers, three pilots, 
and nine flight attendants boarded an Airbus 330 in Rio de Janeiro. This flight, Air France 447, was headed across the Atlantic to Paris. The takeoff was unremarkable. The plane reached a cruising altitude of 35,000 feet. The passengers read and watched movies and slept. Everything proceeded normally for several hours. Then, with no communication to the ground or air traffic control, flight 447 suddenly disappeared. So the question is, what the heck happened, right? And turns out, and by the way, that that was a blurb from 99% Invisible, an episode called Children of the Magenta, which is super fascinating. And the whole point of this story and the topic, it has to do with automation dependency, okay? And here's what went wrong. The co-pilot was very new on the job. His training had only consisted of using the automated pilot. He had very, very little training how to fly an airplane otherwise. The captain took a break, and this was just before a storm, by the way. They were heading into a storm, so the captain made a huge leadership mistake by checking out. Maybe he was, I'm sure he was tired. Apparently, he was partying a little bit over there. So he was tired. He kind of checked out, and it was at the wrong time. And all of a sudden, going into this storm, the autopilot turned off all on its own, completely, completely just malfunctioned. The co-pilot had no idea what he was doing. He panicked. He had task, what's called task saturation. And we know about the whole law of, uh, what is it? Six plus or minus two, whatever it is, right? We can only do a limited amount of things well at, at one given time. So he was task saturated. He only had training on using this automated flight tool and he lost complete situational awareness as that, a dependency on that automation. Mm-hmm. And what happened was he panicked, he pulled up, the plane started going up in the air, and then planes cannot maintain that. So the plane started actually completely dropping, like at a high rate. And by the time the captain came in to try to, to fix things, it was too late. The plane had already plummeting to, to the end of the ocean, and sadly uh, at the expense of 228 lives. So I tell that story, and, and again, it's, mm-hmm. I tell that story to really just reiterate my point of tools are amazing, but they also fail sometimes. It's really good to know what you're doing as much as you can to know what you're doing without the tool and what your goal is, right? Without the tool and to know how to navigate if you need to without it as much as you can. And thankfully, as designers, we aren't in situations like this that often, but there's just times where it really matters. Um, And unfortunately, this was one of those times where there was too much dependence on the tool and not enough passion to learn how to do it without it. And I think that's it's a great story. Uh, depressing a bit, but a great story to Sorry, guys. Sorry episode. to leave it on that I think note. with that, you need to do a virtual mic drop. You have a... <laughs> <laughs> Just practice your skills. There's Check out the Children of the Magenta, that episode, again, it was 99% Invisible. But then there's the guy, the pilot. Check out his presentation. This was in the night, I think in the 2000s or somewhere around 2000. It looks like it was recorded a long time ago. But anyway, check out the, the guy's talk on Children of Magenta. It's so good and relevant. Crazy. It's as crazy as it is. It's aircraft. We're talking about aviation. But it's so related now to kind of the world we live in and we work in with technology and tools and automations. And so it was really, really good and the whole point is you know to practice maintain your skills that's his whole yeah. point maintain your skills there we go awesome awesome man um so i think that really wraps things up we had a great discussion that was a really fun discussion as well so thanks so yes, much Jason, for being here and talking to us yeah thanks a lot for joining us oh my pleasure thanks for having me guys yeah for sure so we'll link user defenders the amazing podcast that you have and all of your social media links here below so that's a wrap everyone so thank you very much jason and we'll catch you around 
Thanks a lot. Fight on, my friends. <laughs> Thanks. Bye-bye. All right, everyone, and that's a wrap. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, please consider sharing it with a colleague or a friend that you think would benefit from listening to it. And if we may ask one more thing, please rate us on iTunes. This will help the podcast reach more audience and make us so happy. You only have to do this once, not every episode, and it has tremendous impact. Thanks a lot, hackers, and we'll see you on the next episode. What's up? So if you enjoyed this episode, I'm very happy and you're welcome to listen to the rest of the episodes of the Hacking UI podcast. I just want to let you know that this is a legacy podcast, meaning David and I are no longer creating new episodes for this specific podcast. David and I are working on different businesses now. So just wanted to let you know that, first of all, if you want to catch David, you can check out Thought Leaders. And that's what he's working on, thoughtleaders.io. And if you want to check out what I'm working on, I have a new podcast. It's called Creativepreneur, the Creativepreneur Show with Sagi Schreiber. And you would be able to find that on iTunes and any podcast app. And I would invite you to come and listen. And that's where I interview people that have built a lifestyle business out of their skills and passions. It's amazing. I interview so many different people that have amazing stories and will help you with your business, will help you with your skills, taking your skills to the next level and achieving higher goals. So if you're interested in that, I'm there, The Creativepreneur Show, and you can check it out also on YouTube. And you can also just go to creativepreneurmagazine.com or creativepreneur.show. I hope to see you around.